The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, so we're going to continue in the gospel of Luke, a feast for failures. It, it's good to re- be reminded where we left off. So we left off in chapter 14. I think a mistake that a lot of times we can make is we think, okay, chapter 14's over, chapter 15 begins, and we think it's like some Netflix series, right? It's kind of loosely connected, but not really. Many times chapter breaks are not helpful um, because we think it's like, okay, intersect, interject new content. But I want you to know, we're still within this same conversation where Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house, and it was this this conversation where they really were putting him to the test. And if you remember, he kind of wrecked that party, right? He started to talk about, you know, well, let me tell you about a party. Uh, There's this king who invited some people over that were pretty affluent, and they made some lame excuses, and they didn't come. And so we went out to the highways and the hedges and the byways, and we invited the cripple and the lame and the poor and the smelly folks. And we said, pull up a seat at the table that's going to last forever. That content of the great banquet really is still in view as we go to chapter 15. As a matter of fact, all of chapter 15 is is continuing to highlight the fact that there are people who are seeing Messiah right in front of their eyes and want nothing to do with him because he's not the Messiah they want, right? And so What we heard last week, if if you remember, in the last text, right? We were talking about following Jesus' supreme love and the cost of discipleship, okay? But, But then Jesus leaves off with these words, and here's the words, and these words are for you too. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that's strange language, right? Because you're looking around, I think everybody has some ears. I said that one time, there's a young lady there that said, I don't have ears. How did she hear me say that? I actually know now. She had a little machine that got that word into her brain, which is pretty impressive. So I learned, okay, we actually don't mean these ears, although they help, but these ears, you're hearing the word of God in spirit and in truth, in grace and truth. You're hearing and you're seeking to obey, okay? This is what it means to hear, to really hear it, not just audibly, because you're all going to hear this word today. What will you do with this word? That's the question. In chapter 15, has often been called this. It's the heart of the third gospel. And I think you'll see why. It's, it's, it's really God's theme of God's love and His mercy and His grace for sinful human beings who want nothing to do with Him. And yet He continues to pursue. So, He finishes off with those who have ears, let them hear. And look at verse 1 and 2. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in verse 1 and 2. And I'll tell you why. Because it literally sets the stage for everything that unfolds from here. And if you don't get verse 1 and 2 right, which I did not 10 years ago, you'll not understand the point of the text. Ready? So look at it with me again. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were what? All drawing near to what? To hear them. He said, those who, those who have ears, let them hear. And guess who has ears? Oh, sinners, tax collectors. Don't miss that connection. Oh, we hear you, Jesus, and we're drawing near to you, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't have ears right now. Not to hear. What are they doing? They're grumbling. And they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, to be blind is to be blind, and they are blind, and so were all of us until the Lord gave us sight. But don't miss the value and the importance of verse 1 and 2, because if you get it, you'll see with greater vibrancy the truth of God's Word in Luke 15. The tax collectors, the sinners, uh, they're all drawing near. They They are captivated by this Jesus. He is so much different than every rabbi who had ever come their way. He, he doesn't push them away because they're, they're dirty and they're sinful. He actually draws them near. He draws them near. And he draws near to them. Why? Because he's not worried about himself being infected and affected by their sin. He literally has come to transform these sinners. To give them a righteousness that they don't currently have. He wants to bring healing far beyond the things that ail them in a physical sense. He wants to bring spiritual life to them. And so what's he do? He he comes to them 
and they come to him. Which, if you've been paying attention through Luke, the first 14 chapters, you should not be surprised by this. It's over and over and over and over. The people that you least expect to draw near to Jesus, they're the ones pulling up a seat at the table. But, but notice, notice the outright disapproval of the religious leaders of that time, at least in that moment at this scene. It says, as they grumbled. What were they grumbling about? Well, not only is Jesus tolerating these scumbags, but far worse in their minds, he's actually, he's creating friendship and community with them. And that's just, this is too far, right? It's, it's one thing to like make them a project, right? And let's, let's go throw a couple, you know, let's go throw a couple dollars at these folks, you know, who are poor so that we can like make sure our neighbors see it. So they'd be like, wow, how generous, what a loving person. He's actually welcoming them. He's eating with them. He's breaking bread with them. That might not mean much to you right now, but in that culture at that time, it was like, it was humongous to invite someone to fellowship with you around food. It's huge. Hospitality meant so much more than, but, but they were not excited about it. By the way, the Greek word here, and I always have to say this because I never want you thinking I'm smarter than I am. And if you hang out with me long enough, you'll be like, we get it. <laughs> the Greek word here from grumbling, you know, you could say complaining, right? Is this exact word's only used two times in the New Testament, and it's used both times in Luke. It's used here in, in chapter 15, and it's also used in chapter 19 with Zacchaeus when the Pharisees once again are grumbling that here is a tax collector and Jesus is going to go and have some food with him, right? That but there's a similar Greek word, right? And it's used eight times throughout all the Gospels, okay? Now, you're like, okay, thanks for the word study, but who cares? Well, I'm hoping you'll care. And here's why. There's this... Religious folks complaining is really not something new. If you hang out with them, you'll hear it. If you are them, you do it. We all complain. But this is actually a little bit more than just your average, oh, boo-hoo, it's raining, and I was really hoping to walk around Twin Lakes today, right? And that might have been you, and you still can. Wear a parka, right? But, but here's the deal. The Greek verb here that's corresponding with the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, that word appears 14 times. You're like, once again, who cares? Hopefully you. Hang in there. It appears 14 times in Exodus, Numbers, and Joshua. And every time it was when Israel was complaining in the wilderness against Moses, against Aaron, and ultimately against the Lord. It's the same word. Why does that matter? Well, because it's more than a complaint. It's way more than a complaint. It's way more than, oh, boo-hoo, it's raining. It's a verbal in indictment that's coming from sinners to the ears of God. And, and really what it's saying is, we know better than you. You don't know what you're doing. We don't trust you. Now, now why this matters is because it's not by accident that Luke wants us to see this. It's not by accident at all. He wants us to be able to see, those who are reading, ultimately, oh, Theophilus. He wants Theophilus to be able to see that these things aren't detached stories. Here's what's going on. This is a, essentially a leftover generation of, of people who rebelled against God. What was their complaint, though? Look at their complaint. This man. It, it's, it's very forceful in the Greek. It's this, this guy. What's he do? Well, he receives, accepts, welcomes. Who? Sinners. Not only that, but he actually breaks bread with them. He eats with them. And they are disgusted by it. Now, ultimately, it's like, are you for real, Jesus? I thought you were a godly man. It's too much for them to embrace. By the way, this still happens today. Um, oftentimes, it happens in churches that are more excited about traditions, buildings, politics than the gospel. I see it. I hear it often. Though they know the gospel intellectually, they rarely take it out of their pristine pews, although most of them have ripped out their pews, and now they just have seats, and they generally won't take it out there to the streets. All too often, these churches are prone to, to speak about the needs of the church and focus on the building and focus on the upkeep, focus on this, focus on that, and focus on keeping you folks from sinning. 
And to do that, we've got to quit hanging out with the sinners. Now, they would never say that outright, but that's what they say. These churches exist to bring other Christians in, or at least folks that aren't that bad, more than actually equipping saints for the works of ministry and sending them out. And it's just such a, such a heartache. Over time, when this happens, these churches become inwardly focused. The gospel is replaced with rules. It's replaced with legalism. It's, it's replaced with superficial and surface-level morality. It's not morality that comes from the heart. It's just, you're just faking it till you make it, until you get around some folks who aren't faking it, and then I can be who I really want to be, and actually who I really am. In the end, they love Jesus that's made in their image. They love the people from their tribe, but they actually fail to love their neighbors. That's a scandal. It was a scandal then, it's a scandal now. Um, the leaders of Israel, the church, right? These, these teachers of the gospel, these teachers of the law, these people who loved the scriptures, these people who were considered under shepherds of Jesus, who is the good shepherd, they're failing in their work. That's what they're doing, just as their fathers had done before. And I want you to see this was spoke of in the book of Ezekiel. So, Ezekiel 34, 2. I'm going to tell you right now, as homework, read the whole chapter today, tomorrow at the latest, right? But really, make a note. Read the whole chapter. And, and if you like to highlight or underline in a paper Bible or in your electronic version, underline every time it says, I will. <laughs> You'll be very encouraged about the God who rules and reigns in heaven and his commitment to do what he said he would do. But let's set the stage. Look at verse 30, or chapter 34, 2 through 6. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My, she my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. It's heartbreaking, right? It's clear, though, that these under-shepherds could care less for the sheep. But what I want you to see today is, is that the good shepherd could, could not care more. He, he came for this reason. Luke 19 says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is on a mission to bring them home. And, and I want you to see it. In third, okay, so we're still in Ezekiel 34, 10 through 12. Look with me. And, and really, it's, it's the whole rest of the chapter. It's just, I want you to look at it in your own time. Thus says the Lord of God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue the sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and in thick darkness. Jesus is fulfilling this Scripture. That's the backdrop of everything we're going to understand in these next three parables, okay? It really matters you get this because all these, let's call them the lost parables, whether it's sheep, whether it's coin, or whether it's the prodigal son and or the religious older brother who won't come in and party. Sound familiar from chapter 14? Good, it should. All are pointing back to the fact that I'm going to do what needs to be done because you have failed to do it. And, and that's the point. So with that as the backdrop, that's really the introduction. But everything else is going to flow from there. 
And hopefully you'll see even more so why these texts point to the greatness of our God. So look with me, Luke 15, 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Pause. Honestly, none of them. None of them. I don't know that I would, right? Like, it seems like a bad plan unless you got like a crew that's going to watch over the 99, right? It's just a casualty of doing business, right? That one ran away. Eh, it was probably a gimp anyway. It's probably already done. I'm not leaving this 99 and having them get devoured while I go out seeking for the one. But Jesus is not like that. And when he has found it, right, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, you could say, think they need no repentance. Because that's really what's being implied here. There, there are no righteous people who need no repentance. All humans, except for Jesus Christ, need to repent, right? And so he's saying, you don't think you need to repent. That's fine. Heaven rejoices at the one who knows they have to, knows they need to, and does with joy. Just to make sure you get this, I'm going to tell you another little parable. Ready? Eight through ten. Ready? Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before angels over God, over one sinner who repents. That's our text for today. There's four themes that if you just look at it, I think stand out, obviously. Ready? There's something that's lost. There's a search. There's a find. And then, or you could say a rescue, and then there is rejoicing at finding that which was lost, right? So once again, lost, search, finds, rejoices. Well, let's, let's think about this, right? Lost. Both parables begin with a note of loss. A shepherd loses one sheep. A woman loses one coin. Let me ask you, have you ever lost something dear to you? I have. Um, I remember losing a G.I. Joe. Snake eyes, favorite one, gone forever, still never found it. I looked diligently, I promise you. Um, but you know what comes to my mind is there, there's this time, my, my daughter, Sarah, she has this thing. It's still, it's, oh, I won't tell, spoiler alert, it's laying on her bed right now. Um, happy bear, right? It's this little bear that like, I don't know who gave it to her, I don't know if it was us or who, but she loved this bear. She took it everywhere she would go, and she would often sit him down misplace him as she wandered wherever she was going. Well, there was this one time uh, that we lost that bear. And let me tell you, when Sarah lost that bear, there was no resting until this bear was found. Uh, so Jess is like, I got to retrace all my steps, right? So where was I? And one of her last stops was Nature's Way. And they were getting, or I think they had clothes. They had clothes. She called them. She's like, I hope that you found this little bear. She describes it in full detail. Oh, if you have, please call me back at this. But no one slept that night, I don't think, right? We might have eventually, out of exhaustion, wailing, weeping, crying. You got to find it. Calling grandparents. Oh, would you be praying? I mean, I don't think we'd been that serious about finding anything in our entire lives till that moment because when a child is not happy whoa ain't nobody happy in that home at least that's been my experience right uh and so all right we look we look we look we don't find it eventually they call us the next day we find it we go get it and it was for at least a season she never let that thing out of her sight again but then eventually she'd lose it again we'd find it again and this was our story for well a lot of years now she takes it nowhere and he just happily stays in the in her bed right okay fun story who cares well i want you to get the picture of the desperate search for something that really doesn't mean all that much in the scope of eternity right well here, here's the deal though you and i Prior to Christ rescuing us, if you are indeed a saved man or woman, we're lost. 
Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, so we've all turned our backs, right? I, but actually, that's not how we start out, because we don't start out with loving Jesus. We actually are born sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us want nothing to do with God. Therefore, actually, we're lost from birth. And, and, and here's the deal. We need someone to search us out. We need Christ to search us out. And, and hopefully, you've experienced just that. So we see the search, right? Both the shepherd and the woman, they begin their search. But Jesus searches out for sheep. Why? Not really sheep, like bad, but like you, me, people who are lost, who are far from him. Those who have turned their back. Those who want nothing to do with him. Those who want only to do with themselves. Because let's be real, until Christ saves us, you and I, we love creation. But we, can't, we want nothing to do with creator. Not unless creator aligns with my thinking. And then it's just idolatry. And you're really ultimately worshiping a false god. You're worshiping self. You're worshiping money. You're worshiping relationships. You're worshiping, you name it. You can even, even worship good things. Like when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, right? You can worship your spouse. They'll let you down quick. You'll go to a different altar, I promise, right? You can, you can worship children, your ideal life. But at the end of the day, you and I, until Jesus gives us a new heart, worships and serves the creation until he comes and he reveals his great love to us. See, Jesus is the good shepherd because he deeply loves those lost, pitiful sinners like you and I. This search is not superficial like teenaging search, right? Hey, mom, where's my, you name it, fill in the blank for clothing, right? I think I had seen it in your closet. It's not in my closet. Where is it? Freaking out. Because it's the only clothing that will actually work for this particular day, even though we have piles. I'm talking about me. I was the same way, right? Mom comes in. It's right here. Oh, that's weird, right? <laughs> it just appeared. Wasn't there a second ago, right? We've, we've all done this, right? Like, hey, do we have any ketchup? Yeah, it's in the fridge. I don't see it. It's right there, right? This happens. But, but that's not how Jesus searches out lost people. He actually pours out his life and death upon a cross. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he relentlessly searches for lost people. High, low, you name it. Always seeking, always calling, always drawing. He will not rest until he finds every last, every last and lost sheep that is his. And he will find them all. Why? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And he will not quit. Jesus is on a divine rescue mission. A heavenly search party has been sent out to bring them in. And, and guess what? Both of these parables find, right? They find what they were looking for. They're identical almost in their recovery. The shepherd and the woman, they don't quit looking until they find that which is lost. And Jesus does not quit seeking until he finds that which is lost. Know this. He, he knows who you are. He, he, he knows how many hairs are upon your head. He, he knows our name. And, and oftentimes, you want to know how he finds us? He finds us under the rubble of crumbled dreams. Honestly, that, that's often how he finds us. And, and by the way, dreams can fall apart in two ways. Let me tell you, I think the first one's pretty obvious. Our dreams fall apart by failing to achieve them right? I think that's the way most people think about it, right? We never got the marriage that we longed for or we wanted. Um, maybe we did get a marriage, but it certainly wasn't the marriage of our dreams. Uh, the success that we pursued evaded us. I never got the promotion. I never got the degree. Um, oftentimes, you know, we want a perfect home, a perfect life, a perfect this, and when we chase those things, it just doesn't happen, you might be sitting here right now, and you're thinking about lost dreams you've had, and it may have crushed you, and you might be under the rubble of that. And I think, okay, we all get that, but I'm going to tell you there's another way that you can have your dreams crushed. And it's often not how people think about their dreams being crushed, but it's actually by achieving their dreams. It, it's, it's by achieving them and still having a nagging emptiness, because it just didn't do it. 
I mean, if you just look at, like, let's say Hollywood, I mean, they're so easy to pick on. I try not to do it because really they're just us, and they're probably navigating it better than us if we could be real. Um, But if you could just think about all the people who have everything they've longed for, and then at the end of the day, they still hate their lives, right? This nagging emptiness, it's the same effect, because at the end of the day, it's incomplete. Why? Because a temporal thing cannot feel an eternal desire. You were made for so much more than this life. I want you to enjoy this life, but you'll never enjoy it until you worship the one who gave it to you. Right? And so this is what happens. People continue to seek it out. And, and the worst thing is, is, sometimes they get it and then they think, well, that didn't work. And then they go somewhere else and they keep going down the line. And every time they just chew up and use the people that were actually meant to be loved instead of used. And, and this happens. It happens all the time. Listen, know this. If you're seeking God, it's because he's seeking you. There's not one human on the face of this planet ever who went on a search for God until God had worked profoundly in their heart. It's a fact. You might be like, well, I remember seeking after him. It's because God did something in your life to cause you to desire, to even have a desire for God. Because prior to that, you're an enemy and you hate God. You want nothing to do with him. You run from him. You have no desire for him. But notice this. In our parable, we also have rejoicing, right? I love the rejoicing aspect. Think about this for a moment. That the day, the moment you came to faith, all of heaven rejoiced that you were found. If that doesn't shock you, I don't want to lay guilt on you, but think a little harder. Think a little harder. Maybe you're like, yeah, of course heaven rejoiced when I was found. Shrink ask for humility, repent quickly. Like, for real, like, are you amazed that heaven, that angels rejoice the day that you bent the knee and said, oh God, thank you for saving a sinner like me? Because that's exactly what has happened. And and that thought to this day just blows my mind. Is there any better feeling than finding something that you've lost that you care about? Maybe. Maybe, but I don't know it. Not really. I mean, not only can you hold the item in your hands again, but like just the mental itch that it's found, I can rest, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm consumed while I'm looking for something, like in not a healthy way. I'm continually, I'm tearing apart things. It's not good, right? When you find it, it's like peace, rejoice, hallelujah, turn on the TV show and let's make something fried, right? That's generally how I feel. And mac and cheese, because that goes well too. Have you ever lost something of great importance? Maybe a child, even for a moment. Even for a moment, it's terrifying. Take your eyes off one second. Where? <gasps> Two seconds later, felt like an eternity. There's. <sighs> it happens, right? Um, it's agony. It's agony. The, the moment that this precious item is returned to our care, though, we feel like we might never let this item out of our sight again. We call our family. I remember we called everyone that we called and said, happy bears found. We found happy and they rejoiced with us. It was like a great celebration. It's a bear. <laughs> it's not even an impressive bear. It smelled often, right? Because she's like suck her thumb and she'd hold it and she'd slobber on it. It was kind of nasty. We've washed it now. She doesn't suck her thumb anymore. <laughs> In the same way, family, we get this. Each one of you, each one of us is so precious to God that he sent Christ to bring you home. And, and when he did, all of heaven rejoiced. He delights to save. This is the God we worship. And by the way, he's not done. He's still in the business of saving. Ah, that was then. I mean, a bunch of people were getting saved. No, no, no. He still loves to save lost people. It's just what he does. Do you trust him to do it? I I pray you do. Because, and so here's, here's your main point, ready? Or at least the main point as I see it. You might disagree, and that's okay. Just be kind. Jesus diligently seeks lost sinners all the way home. 
And when he does, all of heaven rejoices. Oh gosh, help us get this, Lord. Jesus, for his part, for his part, cast his love on those who are far from God because he knows no other sinner. I think oftentimes we think, well, that person's really close to God. Why? Because they're moral. And they're only probably moral because it helps them get where they're trying to go. Right? I think so many times we think that, well, that person's a real bad sinner, as if there's a really great sinner who's just not that bad. When we think of bad sinners, who do we think of? Come on, it's so easy. Hitler. And Hitler was an awful, disgusting, vile creature of a human. Plain and simple. Heaven would rejoice if he had received Christ as his Savior. Make no mistake about it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's all of us, actually, if you could see our hearts. And if all the, the general grace that you've been given of growing up in a, hopefully a home that loved you and nurtured you and, and set the table for you to have a better existence, you and I are no different. You're, we're so much more like Hitler than we are like Christ, I promise you. So we're all lost. And Jesus loves lost people, which is good news because that's all there is. That's all there is. His ministry was not for those who thought they were righteous. His ministry was for those who no one would want, no one would seek after. Jesus sought them out. Jesus sought you out. Jesus is continuing to seek people out. Uh, there's, a, there's a writer who, who once said this, grace works only for those it finds dead enough to raise. Man, I love that. I'm going to read that again. Grace works only for those it finds dead enough to raise. If you don't think you're dead, if you don't think you need rescued, you'll never receive the gift. Why? Because you don't need it. You're like those Pharisees and, and, and those, ta- those, those folks who, the Sadducees and the scribes who think, man, I don't need rescued. I'm not that bad. I think I'm pretty good. You know, when Jesus, when I stand before the pearly gates, this is how strange people talk. They're like, and Jesus asked me why I should be let in. I'll just tell him. Man, I shoveled the sidewalks every winter. Anytime we had snow, made sure I gave 10%. Not only that, but boom, 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 boom. And they just lay it out. You got one hope if it were that corny that you would stand at the pearly gates and they would say, why should we let you in? I don't think it happens that way. That's really strange. But if it did, you could just say this, because Jesus Christ died for a sinner like me, I believe and trust in him. Period. You add anything else to that, you're just going to mess it up. It's going to mess it up. And so when you hear Jesus speaking to the lost and the broken, the outcast, the sinner, do you hear him speaking to you? We live in an already but not yet kind of world. If you're in Christ, you're actually, your primary identity is not a sinner. That person's dead. It went to the grave with Jesus Christ. You've been resurrected to new life. (gasps) Ran out of breath. (laughs) Not only that, but you have the righteousness of of. Christ. You're as holy as Jesus Christ by faith alone. This is beautiful news, but you're a sinner and a saint, right? Why? Because you've not arrived. You've not arrived, and so it's an already but not yet. But, but I want you to know, prior to coming to faith, you were a wretched sinner. How bad it took the blood of Jesus Christ to make you lovable, to make you righteous, He had to die for you. He had to die for me. And that's his ministry. The reason that's good news is because essentially what Jesus is saying, you and I were all that one lost sheep. And he left heaven and he put on flesh and he came and got us. You're the one that Jesus set out to find. Friends, no no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your life has looked like up to this point, no matter what your life looks like to come, no matter whether you think you need a Savior or not, you're the one that Jesus has desired to rescue. He loves you. And if you're like, is he talking about me? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. In so many ways, that's the point. Jesus loves lost people because that's all there is. Uh, a shepherd loves sheep. A, a woman seeks for the coin, right? Was that the main point? Well, kind of, but, but I want you to see this. 
Jesus is really working from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if a woman will rejoice when she finds one coin, even though she had nine, and everyone around her rejoices, and if a shepherd will rejoice that he found one sheep, even though he had 99, and if the rising family will rejoice that we found happy bear, even though she had eight trillion bears, how much more might we want to rejoice when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you? Oh, this causes my heart to, to tick. It is what gets me out of bed many days when I think about those who are lost coming to faith. Think about what Jesus has done here. What did the sheep do to be found? Answer, nothing. What did, what did the, the coin do to be found? Answer, nothing. Just the sheep contribute nothing to the rescue, just like coins do nothing to contribute to being found. Can I just tell you right now, you and I do nothing, nothing to contribute ourselves being found. It's 100% always and only Jesus Christ who does this work. Your lostness and your sins is the only thing you contribute to the work of salvation. The need to be rescued. The need to be found. You're like, well, that's 99% Jesus, 1% me. Er, wrong. Nothing. Nothing. Right? Why does this matter? Because when you get that heart of grace, guess what you will want to do? You want to worship Jesus Christ, and you'll want to be like him. And what's he like? He's the one who goes out and seeks those who know no such thing of this kind of grace. Oh, I promise you, it's all divine grace that drove Jesus from heaven to earth. It's all divine grace that caused him to diligently, don't miss the word, diligently. Do you diligently seek out those that are in your neighborhood who don't know Christ? And what I mean by that is I don't mean like drive-by shooting, like, hey, heard you don't know about Jesus. And then hit him with a bunch of words. No, it might look like this. Would you like to come to my house and have soup? Would love to have you. We're going to have some people into our house this evening. Or maybe it's just going to be you. Whatever. You've got to get to know them so you know what serves them better. Get to know them. Having some heartache. I would love to pray for you. Could I, could I pray for you? Right? I, I don't know how the Lord's going to lead you in that work. But let me tell you. You're to be diligently seeking after those who don't know Jesus Christ. Oh, if you're in a holy huddle, it's so fun. Till it's not. I find them lame, quite honestly, most days. Where you're all just talking about all the moral things that you're doing or you're not. Like, get your hands dirty. Get a little, it's going to take you, it's going to get a little grimy, right? But that's what it requires to seek out those who want nothing to do with Jesus. You're going to have to risk Oh, why does that matter? Because last chapter, Jesus finished off. You better count the cost. Why? Because it's going to cost you everything to be my disciple. Well, what are you like, Jesus? I'm the one who leaves heaven to, to go and to muck it up with those who want nothing to do with me. <laughs> what was their complaint again? He hangs out with sinners and he eats with them. Well, I've had that said about me often. Good. They also said Jesus was a drunkard, right? And a glutton. He wasn't. Why did they say that? Guilt by association. Religious folks love to do that. In so many ways, this explains the ministry of Christ. So many ways. He's on a divine rescue mission. By the way, it takes all of us. Because not all of you have the same gifts. It takes a, a whole body to do the work of diligently searching doesn't mean you have to be the one evangelist who goes out and leaves everyone. But it does mean that we're in this thing together, locked and loaded, holding hands, praying, seeking, right? You might have a house that's wonderful for, for opening your home to invite some people over. And you might be like, I know this crazy gal will make sure, or this crazy gal will get the gospel out, or at least make connection to where they do that. So I'm going to get these two families together, and we're going to have a, I don't know, a barbecue, a little campfire. We're going to you know, cook some hot dogs, whatever. But do you even, does, does it even come into your brain how to reach lost people? Maybe your work is diligently praying for them. I'm not saying you never share the gospel, but like, is it even at the front of your mind? If not, Listen, no guilt, no shame for you. Oh, keep that out of here, right? So for real, 
Because guilt and shame don't change anyone to go and reach lost people, ever. I've never met someone so shamed that they're like, I'm going to go save all the lost people. It's only glory that drives you. I want Jesus to be famous in this family's life. I want them to worship him. I want them to know him. Oh, I want them to receive grace and forgiveness and love and, and to know that there's a God in the heaven who sees them. I want him to be famous in their hearts. Only glory drives what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't come because he felt bad, even though he had great compassion. He wasn't groveling. It was for the joy that was set before him. Locked and loaded, lasered, focus. I'll endure the cross. If he'll endure the cross, surely we can en endure a little bit of maybe embarrassment to give it a go. Because <laughs> that's about it. Well, I know I heard about some persecution. They actually unfriended him on Facebook. Oh, so what a joke. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. I'm trying to, Lord, shh, open our eyes to see the people that are around us. Because I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of hurt people in this world. And they think that the Lord has abandoned them. Most, most people, and there's no, by the way, there's no such thing as an atheist. Let's tell you that right now. And if you're like, I am one, let's have coffee afterwards. You're not. There are people who generally are just hurt. Because if there is a good God, then why did this happen? And why am I in this situation? Why did he leave me? Why did he allow my spouse to die? Why did he allow this? Why? And, and they need answers. They need answers. And who's going to give it to them? Well, hopefully it's, it's God's children, the church, those who, you don't have to have all the answers. You're like, actually, that's a great question. I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. Oh, there's a God who loves you. And then put some meat on that bone. Don't just say love because they'll think care bears and happy, slappy, and woo. Like, no, there's a God in the heaven who loves you so much. He sent his son to seek you out to make sure you could hear the message I'm about to share with you right now. That there is a God who sent Jesus to live a life you and I could never live because you and I have rebelled against God. And he lived that perfect life you and I could never live. He perfectly obeyed the Father. And he willingly went to the cross so that he could become sin for sinners like you and I. Because you and I have rebelled against God. We're enemies of God. And Jesus became an enemy of of God so that enemies like you and I by faith alone, by grace alone, by trusting in Jesus alone could be sons and daughters of this great God. He's done it all, 100% of it. And you just trust him. Oh, by the way, he did go to the grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. Why? Because he had no sin. And he triumphantly resurrected from this grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And oh, how I want you to know he loves you. He loves you. He sees you. He's not left you. As a matter of fact, your dreams that are crushed and crumbled, he probably allowed that to happen so that you could look up and see his face smiling back at you. In the day that you receive this good grace and this good mercy and this good love, all of heaven will rejoice. Why? Because he loves you. Oh, I just don't believe that. That's all right. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep being your friend. I'm going to keep praying for you. I want you to know, I want you to know Christ. And they might say, well, I don't, I don't want that kind of love. And they might. But risk it. But risk it. Risk it. I'm going to finish by reading a quote, and then we'll wrap it up pretty directly. Listen to this quote. Uh, it's from one of the commentaries that I use, and it says this, but the characteristic feature of these two parables is not so much joy over the repentant sinner as divine love that goes out to seek the sinner before he repents. Sheep and coins do not repent for getting lost. I think you, could be, you have to be careful you don't push the parable too far, but I still think this is worth reading. Salvation and repentance have now exchanged places. Actually, it's like a gunshot. Um, which comes first, right? The sound or the bullet leaving? It's, it's pretty quick. For Jesus' audience, though, listen, of Pharisees, repentance is the first thing and the first condition which affords the sinner the hope of grace. And that in, it's now the case that repentance comes only by means of grace. So, I, I love this because for Jesus, grace is it's not the first thing. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And repentance comes as a response to this gift of grace. 
this gift of love. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that causes us to turn away from living a self-focused life and turn to, to live a life directed towards God, right? It's, repentance always leads to more of grace, too. We repent one time for all of salvation, right, to change our mind, which leads to a change of direction. I'm now done worshiping all the things I think this life can give me. I'm going to worship and serve and love the God who gave himself for me in Jesus Christ. So it's a change of mind that leads to a change of, of action and response and thinking, right? But not always right away, but it's a, at one time for salvation. We don't need to repent for salvation ever again. The moment you repent of your sins and trust and believe in Jesus Christ, you are a saved man or woman. But can I just tell you right now that the further and the more you get close to Jesus Christ, you will find, I have not fully arrived. And I need to continue to confess my sins and continue to have my mind transformed to be more like Christ. The more you walk with Jesus Christ, it's not that you finally get your act together and repent and confess less. You'll actually find, I got a whole bunch of baggage here. I need to be confessing often. Right? That's actually how you know you're growing in grace because repentance always leads to more grace. And more of God's grace always leads to more kinds of freedom from sin, from bad thinking. It, it leads to Healings, I want to be careful. I don't mean like, hey, my arm grew back. I'm, I, God can do that. I just never have seen it. He could do that. What I mean is healing of, of wounds of the heart. Because there are many people who uh, work through anxiety and depression and, and have daddy issues and mommy issues. And I just want you to know, the more you turn to God, the more you have your mind transformed to be more like Christ, your heart begins to receive healing. You are then transformed. But you're transformed by love. You're transformed by the Holy Spirit who does that. But you engage this living God who has engaged you. And as you do, you'll be transformed to be more like our Savior. And can I just tell you, when you, when you start to realize that transformation has taken place, you want to, I'm going to tell you what happens. You begin to stop thinking so much about you. And guess what you start to think about? Yes, Jesus but those who don't know. We often think that the more we arrive, the less we blow it. That's religion. I'm just telling you, this is why people don't hang out with people who might be a little bit scandalous. Now, maybe you shouldn't hang out with some scandalous folks, but can I just tell you, bring them in. Next week, we're going to have a well, I don't know, a feast or something, uh, turkey and things like that. It's like a turkey bowl. It, Ryan's going to make it sound much more attractive <laughs> at the end of this service. But let me tell you right now, I would love it if we come here next week, and I already have a handful of people who've already said, I'd be glad to stand outside in the hallway to give my seat to someone who needs to hear the gospel of grace. Let's see if the Lord might be pleased to just put more behinds in these seats. Not so, be real clear, that we grow as a church. Because I... Well, that, that's just going to cause us real problems. I don't know where we're going to go. Um, we'll figure it out. Um, but it's so that they can hear the message of God's grace. Because next week we're going to be preaching through the prodigal son and the, the older brother. Will you, will, you, will you work? Will you think about praying and how to invite your friends and your family? And, and to be clear, I'm not looking for you to invite your saved grandma. I, I love her. Jesus loves her. Hopefully she has a church. Let her go there. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I know. I'm saying we came here for lost and de-church people. That's why we came here. Now, you might have a friend who's wandering, sheep, who loves Jesus but has not been living in that way and has no church family. Great. Go get them. But, but let's be active, right? It takes all of us. I guarantee you the food's going to be good. Jake's going to smoke turkey and ham, and then I'm going to smoke a cigar when we're done, right? Because that's a good one. We're going to have a football game afterwards. You're like, I don't like football. I don't. That's, okay. That's cool. They'll have hot cocoa and a little cheering section. But really, it's just so that we can get together. Why? Because, and this is where we end. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another. And in next week's feast is all about us loving Jesus and seeking to love one another. And I can tell you right now, there's a lot of love in, in this family. 
this people right here to, to add more people to love. So let's be about the business of our Father. Let's be about actively seeking and searching and inviting. Cre- invite them. Be creative and ask them to come. And then let's just see what the Lord does. Let's just see what the Lord does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you, from, from before the foundation of the earth, had a rescue plan to seek out those who would ultimately rebel against you. And Lord, we thank you that, that as much as I can tell the majority of the folks who I know here, they love you. And they love you because you love them first. I love you because you love me first. And that love is seen oh so clearly in the fact that you would humble yourself to the point of, of putting on flesh, adding humanity to your divine nature, to being born of, of a fallen human, of, of being raised by fallen parents. And, and to, to humbly submit yourself to that which you've created. To, to living a life that is absolutely perfect in love. And even, it just goes to show the depth of our wicked hearts that you lived in love perfectly and we hated you and murdered you. And you knew it would happen. You were born to go to the cross. But that is not the end of the good news. As a matter of fact, if that's where it ended, it would be horrific news. But the beauty is, is you're fully human, but you are fully God, and God cannot die. And so you have resurrected from the grave, and you have defeated Satan, sin, and death, and you call everyone everywhere to embrace the good shepherd by faith, to turn from our sins and to trust in your perfect life your substitutionary death, and your resurrected life. And you now mediate this relationship between a God in the heavens who, who you say now is our Father, and He calls us His children, and to believe and trust in you. And when we do, heaven rejoices. Oh God, we want, we want to see and hear, in, even only by faith, the angels rejoice at more people coming to know you through our work. Lord God, help us. We, we really don't have great schemes and plans. We're just trying to be faithful. And so, Lord, I just pray that you put people who don't know you into our lives and you'd place us into their lives. And, Lord, that we might represent you well. And when we fail to represent you well, Lord, that we'd be quick to ask for forgiveness and and talk about the God who forgives all our sins. Lord, help us to, to seek that which is lost. But now, Lord, we ask that we would just draw our attention to the one who's done it all. And we remind ourselves that we, too, were once lost sheep. And we'd be reminded of your great love. Help us to have a greater picture of your great love as we move into this time of receiving communion as a people of God. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.